This special Black Hat edition of the Security Ledger podcast is sponsored by Underwriters Lab. UL fosters safe living and working conditions for people everywhere through the application of science to solve safety, security, and sustainability challenges. Check them out at ul.com. Hello and welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, the Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. This is a special Black Hat edition of the podcast brought to you by UL Underwriters Lab. In this episode of the podcast, Ken Modeste of UL joins us from the Black Hat briefings to talk about that company's efforts to make cybersecurity as important to consumers as product safety. But first... So, be a good team player. You know, don't be a jerk. It's just really good life advice. (laughs) These were some of the recommendations that Google Director of Engineering Parisa Tabriz laid on the overwhelmingly male and notoriously ornery security experts in her keynote speech opening this year's Black Hat briefings. The speech was remarkable for a number of reasons. For one, Black Hat made its name by celebrating cyber offense. It's a show that regularly makes headlines with eye-popping software exploits from Barnaby Jack's famous jackpotting attack that had an ATM machine spitting out cash on stage to Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek's remote takeover of a Jeep Cherokee at the 2015 Black Hat. But Tabriz squarely represents a perspective of a cyber defender and she celebrated the work of those who defend software from attackers. Her talk was remarkable also because of who Tabriz is, a 36-year-old female engineering lead at perhaps the world's most important and consequential technology company. In an industry known for bluster, Tabriz's message was also a departure. Talking about Google's efforts to improve the security of its Chrome browser, she spoke candidly about the obstacles her team faced internally and externally as they worked to make Chrome more secure. Rather than presenting security improvements to the browser as foregone conclusions, she spoke about the practical and cultural challenges that confronted her team, even for simple changes like warning users about insecure websites. In this excerpt, for example, Tabriz talks about how the introduction of Chrome's site isolation feature trickled down to affect even simple functions like the Control-F search feature on Chrome. It's hard for me to convey how complicated this is if you're actually not working on Chrome, but I want to try by describing what a simple feature like Find and Page, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with via Control-F, looks like. Now, originally, Control-F was just basically a for loop over a document. After site isolation, iframes from different sites would have to be drawn in different processes. And so your simple for loop now has to ask every process to do a chunk of work, collate the results, handle cancellation or no response. And that for loop just became a distributed systems problem with cancellation and eventual consistency. And as a site isolation team, they had to do that for control F, control Z, printing, accessibility, compositing, and a bunch of other features. And now imagine that you're this 10 person team and you have to find the owner for those features and you have to convince them to stop working on what they're working on, but take your simple for loop and make it into something really, really complicated. 
In such an environment, if other Chrome team members weren't motivated to help, if they didn't respond to questions, if they didn't do code reviews, this project would have dragged on to forever. Now the core site isolation team needed allies within the greater project, and they did a really good job of building that by explaining the value of project in ways that other people could understand, by maintaining a positive attitude, by being responsive when others asked them for help, even if it didn't have, if it didn't have anything to do with security, and you know, in general, just being a good citizen. At a show known for its bro culture and in-your-face attitude, Debris emphasized the need to humanize security work, celebrating those in the audience who do the hard work of securing software systems, identifying vulnerabilities, and patching them. She talked about how Google's Chrome team found motivation in the personal stories of friends and relatives affected by browser insecurity and used everything from poetry slams to stickers to cake parties to celebrate their achievements along the way. In all, a project to secure Chrome that Tabriz and her team estimated would take one year ended up taking up more than six and required a massive investment of time and resources from Google the company and personal sacrifices by Google's many employees. The lesson is that better security isn't likely to come from a team of security ninjas repelling into your company to fix all the flaws. Rather, it's going to be a long, hard, and much less sexy scene. A group of dedicated professionals working tirelessly to overcome technical, cultural, and economic hurdles. A team respecting each other, working together, and learning from their mistakes. Fighting and winning internal battles, and most importantly, not being jerks. In an industry that's often dominated by its loudest and most rancorous voices, that's a really powerful message. Up next... What is the venerable product safety and testing firm Underwriters Lab doing roaming the halls of the Black Hat briefings? Ken Modeste, the director of Connected Technologies at UL, says his 124-year-old firm is on a mission to do for product cybersecurity in the 21st century what it did for product safety in the 20th. Safety guidelines mean consumer goods like lamps and electronics these days aren't likely to burst into flames or leak corrosive chemicals on the floor. There's no such guarantees for the security features of connected products. That's why hackers have found consumer and commercial technology like IP-enabled surveillance surveillance cameras, and home routers to be easy prey. The good news, Modeste said, is that consumers are already trained to discern product quality and make smart choices in favor of better quality, safer, and more secure products. They just need an easy way to discern secure from insecure. That's what UL is up to with its Cybersecurity Assurance Program, or CAP. In this podcast, Ken and I talk about that program, as well as UL's evolving 2900 cybersecurity standards for connecting devices. We talk about what message UL is carrying to the hackers and security pros at Black Hat in Las Vegas and beyond. I started out by asking Ken to talk about the work that he does at UL and about the CAP program. Hi, hi, I'm Ken Modeste. I'm the director of Connected Technologies at UL LLC. Underwriters Labs is a a wholly owned not-for-profit based in Chicago. Um, It's a multinational organization that's um, solely focused on a a public safety mission, how we can help manufacturers in certain industries bring products to market to ensure that they are, um, as they continue to innovate and bring products to market, that they are managing the risks associated with those products, whether it's electrical and and harm, whether it's safety risks, whether it's off-gassing of chemicals, um, any of those things that could be considered something that could affect the public. And people, to the extent that they've 
come into contact with UL, it might be like the tag on an electrical appliance that you buy. That's uh, sort of UL tested. Electrical appliance, your drywall. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> other example. I saw drywall the other day at a, a client site. We've been operating since 1894. And so typically you see the UL logo on products. That signifies it's tested and it complies with the requirements that are applicable. Ken, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I think this is actually the first time, even though like we've spoken many times, and you were a speaker at our Security Things Forum in June, but I think this might be the first time you've been on the Security Ledger podcast. It may the, be the first, but I hope it's not the last. It will not be the last, <laughs> I guarantee you. So for our listeners who might not be familiar with you or the work that you do in Underwriters Lab, uh, just tell us about that. Sure. Um, I joined UL about 10 years ago. Uh, I'm responsible for what are we going to do to help our clients, help manufacturers, help the industry in general in trying to address their cybersecurity risks. So my main function is trying to develop from a technology perspective what our organization is going to do to offer clients to manage that risk. But in general, also working around um, where the strategy is for industry in general, that where, where they should be going from a cybersecurity perspective. Okay, so we're here in the beautiful uh, sands of Las Vegas, Nevada, and it's early August, and it's uh, what they call Hacker Summer Camp, which is a confluence of Really, three shows now, uh, Black Hat Briefings, DEF CON, and uh, also the um, B-Sides Conference, all mm-hmm. going on here in Las Vegas. It's 109 degrees outside. Yep. Um, <laughs> what is UL doing here at Black Hat and DEF CON? What's your mission objective yep. being here? Yeah, you know, we've been participating for quite some time now, but uh, a lot of what we do here is really a, from an observational perspective and a show perspective. We have several of our technology folks that are obviously attending the DEF CON or the briefings or the training um, co- uh, courses that apply. What I specifically do, was, what's really relevant to me, especially at this part of conference, I meet a lot of clients, but in general, I want to see what the vendor community is bringing out there. What are the tools that they're bringing out to address cybersecurity? What are they actually um, demonstrating in the industry to to help manufacturers, to help an end user or consumer so that they feel assured that the, the risk that either of procuring equipment or selling equipment is, is covered? So one of the things that you, Underwriters Lab, has done in the last few years is to launch the cybersecurity assurance program called CAP, which is a series of standards, 2900 series, uh, covering connected devices, I guess is one way to put it, internet connected devices. Um, just talk a little bit about the 2900 series and CAP and what that's all about. The UL Cybersecurity Assurance Program, otherwise known as UL CAP, it, it contains a lot and a small part of it, but a very important part of it are standards for connected technologies. How do you assess and evaluate those standards, um, those, those products, and, and then certify those products? Um, what we've done when we, we, we premised this program is to foundationally build it on standards that we found globally that meet a cybersecurity assurance um, a purpose. And we've done an exhaustive look at, at, at what's out there and we created our own. We do also provide capabilities for other standards that are popular in certain sectors. Um, but we created our own for a, an express purpose that we didn't find anything that carried all the best practices and was able to convert it 
into repeatable and reproducible criteria that can test and evaluate and provide that assurance. Mm -hmm. And and so the cornerstone of the UL Cybersecurity Assurance Program is predicated on those best practices with the UL 2900 being a part of it. Now, a part of that Cybersecurity Assurance Program is you recognize that there's a large part of, of our client base that aren't really ready for certification, the market isn't ready for certification, or they themselves are not even trained or able or, or their products aren't even ready for that. And so a big part of what we've been working on the last two years as we've published those standards is trying to understand, we call it the ABCs of UL cybersecurity, to try to understand where our clients today are in in cybersecurity and what do they need to bring products to the marketplace. And those ABCs, uh, we uh, follow a uh, uh, a standard process of advise, benchmark, and certify. Mm -hmm. And some of our clients are in that certification space where they're looking for those standards. Some of our clients are in a benchmark um, space where they're looking for us to come in and do checks, do audits, do testing to determine where are they actually at. Mm -hmm. um, and then advise. Some of the, our clients are new to building IoT products and they want to learn, you know, what's out there. Let's filter the noise. UL, can you come in and help us understand what do we need to do specifically for in our industry? And and, and the overall um, uh, premise behind the ABCs of cybersecurity, where the UL 2900 is a part of it, the overall premise behind that is uh, uh, today industry is trying to manage the risk whether it's IoT, whether it's connected technologies related, and what UL is trying to do with these ABCs of cybersecurity is to help organizations, our clients, do what they do best, which is innovate. Help them manage the risks so they can go out and, and bring products out to the market that are innovative and fun and great to use. This podcast is sponsored by Underwriters Lab. UL fosters safe living and working conditions for people everywhere through the application of science to solve safety, security, and sustainability challenges. Check them out at ul.com. You know, when we talk about security and Internet of Things, a lot of times people's minds kind of focus on the consumer products, you know, the nanny cams and the talking teddy bears yeah. and so on, yeah. <laughs> um, which make for great news stories, but that's a really small piece of what's out there and connected a lot of the stuff that it needs the most help are connected infrastructure you know uh, safety critical health critical systems the companies that are coming to you you know what what industries are represented there is it more the consumer end of things or the industrial healthcare yep. manufacturing end of things it's a it's a wide gambit but it really resides around, like you mentioned, the critical infrastructure, the commercial enterprise type of organizations. We have seen a lot of consumer um, type organizations, but in general, what you're seeing is more of the commercial, industrial type um, uh, companies and, and some of the sectors we see is building automation, HVAC systems, building security, so access control and video. Um, we see a lot in the medical. Medical is humongous in, mm -hmm. in some of the needs that they're seeing. And the reason why we're seeing more of that in that space than the consumer space right now is that those industries are starting to see more and more demand from their end users. Mm -hmm. Their end users are starting to ask, what are you doing about cyber? Show us the due diligence that's happening within your organization. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, so we're seeing a lot of that in the commercial sector. In the consumer space, we're starting to see some of that. And what, what, what we're tending to find is that organizations that are, are, are coming to us in the consumer sector are actually sort of organizations who want to be 
uh, early adopters. They want to be like the movers and shakers to first do something in their right. industry. And so you're seeing organizations that are doing with smart TVs, printers, and, and the like. But how can they, they know they're bringing in smart home IoT type products. Mm-hmm. What is the relevant uh, mechanisms that they have to use to demonstrate to the general consumer marketplace that they are doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. And and some are coming in, it'll take a little bit longer, I think, than the, than the commercial enterprise type folks, mm-hmm. but it's getting there. I mean, we've seen stories about and about you know warnings. I think even um, uh, you know I can't remember if it was DHS or FBI put out a warning specifically about smart television sets, um, uh, saying that you know there, there's a risk that they could be used as surveillance uh, tools by malicious actors. And turn off the microphone. Turn off the microphone. <laughs> turn off the camera. Right. Yep. Um, um, so. Are we are we moving to a place where the manufacturers of those devices uh, are concerned that that could at some point in the near future become an impediment to people actually choosing their product over other products? That security will and privacy will be things that people will actually select for. I, I think so yeah. um, uh, because the early adopters are coming to us for market share. Mm-hmm. They're coming in mm-hmm. to say, if I do this, I think I'll I'll, I'll get a, a larger percentage of market share. Mm-hmm. And if I do this upfront and in advance, mm-hmm. I can beat back the competition. And it's definitely what they're what what what's you're starting to see is more and more the regular consumer like you and I for what we would buy in our homes and and um, what you would buy in your home or in a business, in a, a smaller business, what you're starting to see is they're starting to ask, if I buy this $100, or $200, $300 device, how much is it going to impact me? Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, they, they I, th- I think what you're seeing within the, the regular public space is a lot of that information about attacks that's happening over across the board um, are, are focusing on, on the the commercial side. Mm-hmm. But when you think about people hearing about Equifax, you think of people are hearing about OPM attacks in uh, three years ago. You hear people um, listening to the Mirai botnet. More and more people are starting to say, I really don't know what that means, but I know I don't want to be one of those yes. people that are impacted and affected. Right. And the consumer has the purchasing power to change the decision process in industry. And so organizations that are, are doing that upfront work and are trying to figure out a way to communicate that to the end consumer mm-hmm. or doing it because they want to lead the pack, I think, in, in industry today. And I, I I definitely believe five or ten years from now, consumers would make those choices as they do today for safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like you wouldn't buy a, a lamp that's going to short out and catch fire, right? You wouldn't buy a lamp in a gas station. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there, there are some people who buy phone chargers in gas stations and some people who buy phone chargers in reputable um, uh, retail stores. Right. And the ones who look for it in the reputable retail stores know that they don't want to bring something home and catch a fire. Right. 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 The ones who are grabbing it in the gas stations will always grab something in the gas station because that is not a major concern for them. Right. And I think the guys who are, the, the folks who are starting to look at it, um, like the ones who wouldn't buy something in a gas station but go to a retail store, are starting to ask those questions. Now, they don't know exactly what question to ask yet. Yes. Right. But they're, they're getting aware of the, the challenge and problem. So you talked about the ABCs of um, uh, Internet of Things security. Um, what are the ABCs? What does UL talk to uh, its or, or recommend for uh, the companies that are pursuing certification? Um, and, and so, so those are pursuing certification. Um, we definitely uh, want them to follow some of the best practices out there in the in the industry globally. Mm-hmm. And 
The challenge is in the ABCs, there's some people don't know because there's too many best practices out there. Which one do I pick? There are a lot. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, which one's relevant and right for me? Sure. Um, ideally, I would say as 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 we've done an exhaustive effort to look at these things, we've we I can identify the UL twenty nine hundred series of standards are some of the best ones. But if you were to look at some of the basics and some of the common practices that are good, let's not have. Um, credential data that cannot be changed. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm buying some device, I want to be able to change the passwords. I want to be able to change the keys. I shouldn't be forced by a manufacturer to have something like that mm -hmm. um, permanently. I should also be able to update the software. I should also know when the software is being updated and what's in there. I would love to know what the contents of the software is and, and where it's coming from. Uh, so, so some of those general best practices, stuff that IT folks have been doing for 20, 30 years, you know, making sure that um, the ability to authenticate onto the device is secure and that you're only giving access to what is necessary in an IoT device is relevant. Uh, you think of like a a home network router, you're starting to see more of those systems having guest networks and mm -hmm. and, and part of the actual mm -hmm. um, network. And so it, it's there's it's starting to look at how do I compartmentalize and, and partition what I can provide to a, mm -hmm. a user that I don't want them to access anything but 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 get the effects of the network um, as opposed to um, uh, the actual network. And so that's making the co end consumer, the, the user like you and I, start thinking of, whoa, this is important. You know, um, my cable guy comes over to fix my cable. He doesn't need to get a permanent access to my my, <laughs> my, my home network. Same right. thing for somebody who's coming to install a thermostat. And so uh, I, I think, and I'm, I'm seeing this in, in IoT companies today as they're starting to build new and newer IoT products. Um, bringing it, especially in the consumer space and the smart home market, they're starting to adopt some of these better practices. There are still some organizations that aren't, and they're trying to figure those out. And in general, I, I think, you know, the DHS came out with a list of, I think it was uh, ending last year, it came out with a list of the 20 best things to do with mm -hmm. IoT cybersecurity. Um, they're fairly common sense, but if you put it all together, it's the same thing, you know, you know not to leave your password on a post-it, so mm -hmm. why would somebody use a password for a device being the serial number or mm -hmm. the MAC address? So it's some of those best practices that I would recommend. It's interesting, I just switched out my home broadband router for the first time in like six or seven years. And, you know, the old one was, you know, admin, admin. Right. You know. The new one had, you know, one-time password on a sticker on the hardware, you know, and then once you logged in, it immediately forced it you, you to, to change, it. change it to, you know, a unique password. Yep. Um, so I was sort of like, okay, you know, somebody, somebody's getting the message here. <laughs> it's definitely more, more secure than the system they had before. And, you know, it's interesting. We're here at Black Hat. I mean, Black Hat, I think, is always a little bit of a, a mirror of the industry back onto itself in terms of what's cutting edge, what people are really interested in, and, and what the folks who are really on the vanguard of security research are, are spending their time poking around. Right. You know, there are quite a few talks focused on in, embedded device firmware and on, you know, hacking connected devices like cars and implantable medical devices and so on. It's a trend that we've seen going back, yep. you know, a number of years. What are your thoughts on the talks that are going on at Black Hat or whether we've made any progress on that in the last few years? I mean, in general, we are making progress. Mm -hmm. um, you're always going to find several cybersecurity experts who would feel that that's 
negligible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. You know, sometimes our uh, cybersecurity professionals, we, we have some level of absolutism within mm-hmm. our mind, right? It's either all or nothing. You're looking for that silver bullet, that magic bullet. But I think you're definitely seeing a lot of progress. A lot of people are wondering, if you're seeing a lot of that progress, why are we still seeing IoT products coming out into the marketplace that are less and less secure and the fact of the matter is because more and more products are coming out into the marketplace yes you know if you had an iot lamp and you only had 10 iot vendors of iot lamps 10 years ago and i'm just giving some anecdotal data you know it's probably a hundred now and next year it'll be a thousand and that's because it's coming from all over the world you know people are graduating people are seeing an opportunity to innovate and and create those lamps what researchers are doing is like you mentioned they're picking areas where it is has a, a public focus like medical devices, like automotive, like critical infrastructure, like smart home, you mm-hmm. know, smart locks in in your in your house, um, and so they're they're putting a lot of efforts into into some of those areas that are um, publicly visible now. Should I be concerned that my um, IoT toothbrush that counts how many toothbrush strokes I make is hackable? I'm, I'm like, you know, maybe if it's a pivot to go someplace else. But right. you know, if right. people want to know how many brush strokes I do to brush my teeth every morning, it's only a hundred, Paul, and I can disclose <laughs> it right now. <laughs> I'm impressed that you count. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we've seen stories about the you know the Bluetooth lock that can be hacked and and forced to open there is kind of a fast fashion aspect to this like you know those those stores where you go in and and, you know you buy the sweater for 18 dollars, but then like you know by the time you've worn it twice it's got like a big hole in the sleeve and so on i I see that sort of happening with connected products there you're right there are a ton of them a lot of them are really not a very high quality as we've seen with like mirai and some of the um kind of big iot focused threats um, that can be a problem because a lot of these components that go into these kind of fast products, these these you know commodity IoT products, are reused and and shared and spread globally, yep. right? Um, often under many different brands. Yep. I know that for UL, like you know the twenty nine hundred series, that's one of the issues that you you guys are looking to tackle as well, which is managing supply chain security and you know vendor relationships, partner relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you? How can you, as a sort of certification organization, get your and a, and a testing and public safety organization get your arms around something as amorphous as you know a supply chain, right. making sure your supply chain is secure? I mean, um, it sounds like a real octopus. It, it does, right? But it's um, I, I think when you look at supply chain in general um, and the challenges with the supply chain. And you take out cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned it's, it's, they're not good quality. Mm-hmm. But if you take out cybersecurity, would that smart lock be good quality? It probably is. Right? It probably has some resilient parts in it. Yeah. It probably won't catch on fire, and it'll probably lock and unlock the doors when it needs to. Mm-hmm. So the the additional requirement that we're adding in this century for the definition of quality or the definition of safety for the operation of the device is cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And Obviously, if you pick like a door lock um, industry as an example, and you have a plethora of flooding of the market of substandard unsecure products, it could put a general um, a negative attitude to that industry overall, mm-hmm. and it could forestall any um, uh, growth in that industry. Um, but how for how long? 
Mm-hmm. Right? You're gonna put a. You're gonna make smart windows. You're gonna make smart TVs. You're gonna mm-hmm. make smart stereo systems. Mm-hmm. And your one thing that wouldn't be smart would be that smart lock because the industry has a bad taste or a bad reputation. And what we'll, you'd see happen is one manufacturer, two or several, are gonna come in with super whiz bang products that are pretty secure and will build and bolster that that. Um, the confidence that the consumer has. And so take that to your comment about supply chain. Every one of us, consumers, end users, asset owners, are concerned about their supply chain. Um, We all have been. You don't buy food from uh, a a shady supermarket. You know, you go to a reputable um, supermarket. You don't go and... Definitely not sushi. You won't buy gas for your car from a a guy selling gas in a bucket on the street. Right. Right. So we all have concerns around the supply chain in general. We just haven't figured out what does that mean for cyber. Most organizations today outside of the financial IT sector didn't have an answer for supply chain with cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And that's why we came up with the UL2900 series mm-hmm. instead. So the first thing we did is we came up with a possible solution built on a foundation of testable criteria that's repeatable and reproducible that someone could say, here's something I could use to start securing my supply chain. Now it's about evangelizing what you have there and making sure that the rest of the industry understands what does this mean? What's the value I am getting for it? Um, and so that, to, to your question, um, having to explain to someone cyber and supply chain is easy for me. Um, all I have to do is bring it back like I used, so you wouldn't buy sushi, like you said, <laughs> or buy gas. And then people will be like, yeah, I, I am concerned about the supply chain. Now people have to be concerned about the cyber part. And the example I use with cyber always is um, at the end of the day, you won't buy something in your house that you could you know could potentially catch on fire, which means if you were to buy a stove right now today, you won't go and buy a stove from from a, a unreputable store. So you'd go to a big box retailer. You know, if you're going on eBay, you're going to look for reviews of who's selling it and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so consumers today understand the concept of safety, and they will buy something that's safe. They now have to just understand that that concept of safety is is intrinsically built on cybersecurity for connected products. Ken Modesta of Underwriters Lab, thank you so much for coming on the Security Ledger Podcast. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure.